July 15th, 2016, if you would, for just a moment, get in a time machine and uh, rewind just a few years. Something happened uh, on that day that I believe has changed the way uh, that television and media and movies uh, will forever be written and directed and produced and advertised and talked about. Uh, something happened on that day, um, something premiered in which the world was introduced to a set of kids that were looking for one of their friends who was missing and ended up finding a lost and confused little girl out in the woods. On that day in television history, on Netflix, Stranger Things was released for the world to watch. And nobody saw it coming, what it was going to do in the world, so much so that six years from now, it is the most streamed show on Netflix, and it's really, really well done. And during the pandemic, when people, for whatever reason, couldn't leave their house and were forced to just find things to do for hours upon hours upon hours... Uh, millions more people were introduced to this and, and met characters like Dustin and Lucas and Will and some little girl named Eleven. If you haven't seen the show, you'll need to watch that to know why she has a number for a name, but that's, I'm not going to ruin that for you. You'll have to watch that to find out what that's all about. But even though they were introduced to the characters and the storylines, and for a lot of people in the world, supposedly what life in Indiana is like, because the show is set in Hawkins, Indiana. Um, I think there are some people in California that didn't really know Indiana even existed, but they got a little preview of that because of Stranger Things. Something else happened whenever they previewed and premiered that show, and it took literally the world by storm. And here's what else happened. Because they got introduced to characters, they also got introduced to this idea called the Upside Down which in the show is essentially this, if you haven't seen it. It's this idea that the world that our characters are living in, in Hawkins, Indiana, the physical world that they live in, has a mirrored, unseen world that other things are happening in. And things that happen in the unseen world can have an influence on the seen world, and things that are happening in the seen world could have an influence on things that were happening in the unseen world. And maybe for the first time for a lot of people, they got this new idea of like, wow, what a crazy thought. That there could be like these two worlds happening at the same time. And if you've followed Jesus or been to church for a while, well, they kind of stole our thunder a little bit. Because we've been talking about that in this book for, I mean, a couple of thousand years is where we've been at with it. But for the first time, maybe people who had never even stepped foot into a church, never even considered or known about the person of Jesus or what faith or what living in faith might look like, they got an introduction into an idea that we, as people who love Jesus, have been able to operate under for a really, really long time. They were introduced to the idea that there are two worlds existing at the same time, one seen and one unseen, one physical and one that is spiritual. And it's a fascinating concept that we see on screen what we've been reading in the pages, and and we operate in the same way right now. Now, for all of us sitting in this room, living either in Bloomington, Indiana, or Spencer, or Ellettsville or wherever it is you might be coming from this morning, 
that that idea holds true that we live in two worlds existing at the same time. And in fact, when you look through the Gospels, we see that Jesus talks about this a lot. And he also spends a majority of the time when he talks about it, talking about what it's like for us to not only know that those kingdoms or those worlds exist, but more importantly, how do we live our life in a situation where two worlds exist at the same time? So if, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, there should be some Bibles in front of you in your row if you don't have a physical copy. Or uh, listen, if you are in need of a good study Bible to read at home and to learn about God's Word, we have some that we would like to give to you. If you don't have one free of charge, we think it's so important to have the Word of God in your head and in your heart and on your mind all throughout the week, not just on Sundays. Or you can even download the free Version Bible app, whatever it is. Um, we can peek off your neighbor if you'd like to. But we're going to read in Matthew chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 12. So it says this. It says in verse 12, it says, When we heard, or when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now pause. Don't read ahead. Don't spoil it, right? Pause for a second. Where are we at? What is this story? What, we need some context where we're at. The beginning of Matthew chapter 4 and the end of Matthew chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized. The heavens open up. A voice from above, from God the Father, says, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And then he gets sent into the wilderness for 40 days and gets tempted by the devil in those 40 days. And after those 40 days... Satan leaves him and angels come and tend to him. And then we pick up in verse 12. And this is the official start of the public ministry of Jesus right here in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12. All the miracles that we know about, all the teachings, all the lessons, all the things that we think about when we think of Jesus all stem from and launch from this part right here in Matthew chapter 4. So let's keep reading. Verse 12, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and he left Nazareth, and he went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, and this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 16, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In verse 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach. Don't look at it. Look at me. If you had to fill in the blank, what would you fill in the blank? From then on, Jesus began to, what would you say? Preach about, fill in the blank. Most of us would say, and then it probably says Jesus began to preach about love, forgiveness, grace, Mercy, if you know a little bit about the Bible, money, right? Because he talked about that quite a bit. But here's what it actually says. Look at it. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. In verse 23, now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, for the people that he's going around and talking to, these, these synagogues, these places of worship, when he's going into them and he's saying, the kingdom of God is near, meaning that it is in proximity to you right now. 
And it says that he went on, he preached the kingdom of heaven. Your translation might say kingdom of God. Others might say kingdom of heaven. They are, in fact, the same thing. And when he's talking to them about a kingdom, what they hear is different than what we hear sitting in this room in 2022. Any of you that are married, if you've ever said something, but your spouse heard something different. Anybody ever had that happen before in your house? Right, yeah. Jake, kind of your hand went up a little too fast, buddy. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's fine. It said something, and someone heard something different. When he says this to them, it means something different because of the time that they lived in. We, we were hanging out with some friends who uh, have these little ones, and, we were, and, and I was hanging out with them because they don't let me hang out with the adults a lot, but I was hanging out with the kids, and uh, I said, oh, 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 someone's calling you, and I pulled out my phone, and I was like, oh, I better answer, and they pulled out the phone, and they go, hello? And I was like, well, that's weird, because back me up here, right? When you were a little kid, if you were going to make a fake phone call and you answer the phone, you would go, hello? Right? <laughs> Come on, old people in the room, right? I mean, how many of you guys, right? Yeah, so this is how we made fake phone calls. And kids today, because of technology, when you say, hey, make a phone call, they're like, hello? And I was like, oh, I get it. Because to me, when I say, uh, I'm going to call you when you're at home, your home phone, we had to stay in the kitchen and it was tethered to the wall. We couldn't go wherever we wanted to. But to kids today in Generation Alpha and, and even being raised from, from now on, when you think of making a phone, from, a phone call from home, you can make it in any room you want to because it's with you all the time. Because the time and the culture and the habits and the frame in which you live can define certain words and different meanings. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near They don't see it the way that you and I would see the word kingdom. In fact, they had a whole different set of expectations. And if you would, maybe just take a little bit of a deeper look into this. Uh, Let's watch the screens to find out just a sample of maybe what they were thinking of when they heard the word kingdom. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running, and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now, in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. 
Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. So listen, we in today's culture still love the idea of a kingdom. If you would look at some of the major television shows and movies that have existed, even over the past 10 or 15 years, we are enthralled with this idea of kingdoms. Uh, If you've watched Game of Thrones or uh, a Viking series or have watched Outlander or if you're like Downton Abbey or if you're a fan of The Lord of the Rings or if you were a kid like me, you watched The Lion King as a movie because we are still enthralled with the idea of a kingdom. And these people that Jesus is talking to, they have an idea of what a kingdom looks like and what they think it should look like. But when Jesus shows up and he's on the scene and he's preaching and he starts talking about the good news of the kingdom, he's talking about something else. Something that they don't really get or understand. Because the people... Well, they had a plan for what a new kingdom would look like. Go ahead and put this up here. The thing is important. The people's plan for a new kingdom was that there would be a king on the throne, someone that would wear a crown and that would have power and influence. Rome would be defeated. There would be no longer a great name in Rome, but we would defeat Rome and we would be uh, returned to our glory. The nation of Israel, strong returned to glory. And they were thinking about this powerful, physical kingdom that would have a mighty army that would be able to take on any other kingdom that wanted to to match up toe-to-toe with it. So they had this idea of this brand new kingdom than what they were used to living in. And when Jesus talks about this kingdom, this is what they're thinking about. They want to change the way the kingdom looks like when they hear him say that. But spoiler, Jesus also wants to change the way that they see things. And he wants a kingdom differently than what they're experiencing now. And that's what he's going to spend his time doing. And when you read the four Gospels, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even into the New Testament, and you investigate what Jesus was doing, here's what he was doing. And here's why we're talking about things that are upside down. It's because Jesus was establishing and setting the rules for and setting up an unseen kingdom that coexisted with the kingdom that could be seen. They're in the middle of a Roman Empire rule, and there's a kingdom that, they, that they're thinking about, and Jesus walks on the scene and starts setting up this whole different one because they're going to coexist together. And can I just ruin the end here for you all of us in this room right now we're living in the same kingdom that jesus set up two thousand years ago if you are in this room and you said i want to give my life to jesus and i want to follow him you're living in the same kingdom the same unseen kingdom of god that jesus set up two thousand years ago you're operating and living in it right now 
It's the same one that exists that Jesus was talking about. Now, for those of us who don't, we're not a part of a kingdom, we, we don't live in that. There are certain dynamics that exist when you live in a kingdom that we should be mindful of as people who live in a current unseen kingdom. And there's just a couple that I want to talk about that I think are really important. Here's the first dynamic of being in a kingdom that we don't know, but we need to understand. When you're in a kingdom, that means you submit to a king. Thank you, Captain Obvious, right? Yeah, no, I got that, dude. I get that, right? So, but here's the thing, if I may. Most people don't like submitting and serving to people that serve as an authority because of the abuse of power that happens, because of the kind of person that gets that power and authority and what they do with it because they are bad people that sometimes get in charge of authority and with the unseen kingdom of God, we get to serve a king who is good. Who is not only good, but he is the standard and the definition of good. Because he leads with grace and mercy. And he is not trying to operate out of deceit. He operates in truth, and his judgment is righteous and holy. And he's not someone that never interacts with his people because we know that if Jesus is king, we get to serve a king who stepped down off of his throne and became like his people and walked amongst them. Secondly, if you're in a kingdom, then you need to know that you have to do things differently based on the kingdom you're in and the king that you serve. So what does that mean? It means that when you go somewhere, you have to be mindful of what you're saying, what you're doing, how you approach situations, because you represent the kingdom that you live in, and it's no different for us today. We, as people who follow Jesus, wherever we go, we represent the king. And if people aren't going to know who Jesus is, there's a chance they would get to know who he is just by interacting with you. You are like a a royal representative of the king. So the way that we see things, the way that we have conversations with people, the way that we do things in our daily lives, the way we process our information and we make our decisions, all of those things have to be different because we are a part of an unseen kingdom who should be honoring the best king that has ever existed and ever will exist. And here's the third part that I just absolutely love about this. When you're a part of a kingdom, wherever the king is present, you're also considering it that that's where the kingdom is. So if the king goes off to a different kingdom to me and to do some uh, diplomatic things, wherever he goes, the kingdom is also said to have been extended to that spot as well. And for those of us that are Christians in this room, When we accepted Christ, the spirit of the living God dwells in us now. Therefore, the king dwells inside of us. So wherever you go, the kingdom of God goes too. Let me say that again, because it's not something we talk about a lot, and it's really, really important. Wherever you go in your life, the kingdom of God goes with you. Because you are the royal representative of the king who is considered the king of kings. So when you, when you go to school, those of you who are still in school, and you sit in a classroom, you represent the kingdom of God in that classroom. You take it with you. When you go to work, 
and you sit in an office or wherever it is that you work out, whatever you do for a living to make money, you are taking the kingdom of God with you wherever you go. When you cross the street to talk to your neighbor for four and a half minutes about things that don't matter, about the weather or when trash pickup is or whatever it is, when you walk across that street to your neighbor, you are taking the kingdom of God with you to that neighbor. Parents in the room, when you close the door behind you in your house and you interact with your children, you are bringing the kingdom of God into your house by the way that you interact with them. Wherever it is that you go, when you are a part of the unseen kingdom, you are taking the kingdom of God with you. And you represent him. And can I just say that in my opinion, there's no better king that deserves to be a representative of, that I would rather be a representative of. See, what Jesus taught about being in the unseen spiritual kingdom of God conflicted with what people at the time were thinking and doing. This book right here lays out a bunch of things that are completely opposite of the seen world that we live in. A lot. A lot of the things that the seen world would tell us to think and believe and do are very opposite to what this unseen kingdom, how we should operate and what we should do. If you've ever watched movies where there's kingdoms, there's typically like a battle scene where they're kind of like circled up around a map and they've got little points on the map, right? And there's two people who are like, well, I think our plan of attack should be this. And there's always another like, oh, I think that's a dumb idea and our plan of attack should be this. And they're like moving pieces around the map. And eventually one person's gonna, they're, they're gonna decide this is the strategy that we're going with and this is how we're gonna fight this battle, right? And Jesus sets this two kingdoms up, this one, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth that we're in right now, and that they're together, and there's gonna be these moments of friction and fighting, there's gonna be conflict. And that's why over the next four weeks, we wanna take a look at this right here, not for instructions, but rather for wisdom on how to live in both worlds at the same time how to be good representatives of the king that we get to serve. And the best way for us to take the kingdom where it needs to go with some wisdom based on the unseen kingdom of God, not wisdom from the seen kingdom of the world and of this earth. And some would even say that Jesus put in place a kingdom that was upside down from everything that we know on purpose. For people that live in a kingdom, and we're guilty of building our own kingdoms sometimes uh, in this life with how we say things and what we do and the arguments that we get into and how we talk to people and how we treat people and how we talk about people when they're not around and, and all those other things. We build our own kingdoms and we have our own plans for how things are going to be taken care of and, and how things are going to go down because we have our own plans and God's plan for what he was going to do, starting back with Jesus, was greater and bigger and better than any plan anyone could ever put together when he establishes a kingdom that coincides with but is upside down of the one that we're in. He showed us that what he was planning was better than what we could ever plan. Here's what I want to show you. Put this next one up here. People had planned... That there's going to be a king on the throne 
that Rome will be defeated. There will be a return to glory. And when the kingdom of God comes near, there'll be a powerful physical kingdom. And God said, I'm gonna turn that upside down because it's not what you think it is. Actually, God had planned a king on the cross. And that through Jesus, sin would be defeated. And that there would be a return of glory to God because people would have their eyes on the cross and on him, not themselves any longer. And that because of Jesus, there would be an unstoppable spiritual kingdom that is thriving to this day. And we get to be a part of it. I literally have goosebumps talking about this. The dude who hung the stars in the sky wants little old me to be a part of his kingdom and to point other people to the king, the only king that is worthy of being celebrated and praised. And you want to talk about being upside down in the kingdom of God? The cross that was supposed to represent death because of Jesus is now a beacon of hope and light because of him. Every Sunday morning, we get together and we take communion together as a representation of that very truth. That through the sacrifice of our King, that He would lay down His life, that He would leave His throne, and He would lay down His life, and we could find ours. We know that this, the little cracker that's in here represents the body of Him that was broken for us, and that the juice represents the blood that was shed when He died on a cross. This morning as you come to take communion in these next few moments the, the altar is open up here if you just like to pray and maybe offer a word of thanks to Jesus for being the kind of king that he is or, or maybe you're holding on to something on your heart or on your mind something that's bothering you you've just been carrying with you maybe this morning before you take communion you just say I'm gonna just lay this down in front of the king because he has power and strength to take care of it in a way that no one else can. Maybe this morning you just simply want to come and worship. To worship the king for who he truly is and for what he has, he has done for each one of us. So whenever you're ready to come and take communion, these next few moments are yours. Jesus, we thank you for this truth that is represented that there is something so much bigger than us. And it's not accidentally put together, but that you have planned it from the beginning and that you are actively at work in your kingdom. May I just say thank you. For some reason, you would choose to hear us whenever we call that you would choose to love us and to use us to be able to bring other people into the family of God. We thank you that we get to call upon a God whose plans are greater than our own. And most of all, we're just simply thankful that a king would lay down his crown sacrifice himself for us that we might be able to find life and life to the fullest because of it. We know that the cross has the final word 
And we are so thankful that you are the King of kings and that you